Oh, yes. This is the Hardcore Marketing Show. I'm Casey Cheshire, your host for this epic journey. And today's show, sponsored by Cheshire Impact, on a mission to help people maximize their use of Pardot and Salesforce. CheshireImpact.com. Hey, everyone. Before we get started with the show, I'm excited to announce two things. First is that my book, Marketing Automation Unleashed, is now live on Amazon. So go get it. The second thing is we have a new sponsor, Qualified.com. I'm going to tell you about them in the next couple seconds here and also how you can get a free copy of my book thanks to them. So who are these people? Well, Qualified is the number one live chat and chatbot platform for Salesforce and Pardot. Sales reps can have real-time personalized conversations with who? Your hottest website visitors. So I want you to know, I don't just partner with anyone. I genuinely love these guys and the platform, we use it at my company. Our sales team loves it. We've closed a lot of deals based on it. Um, had a lot of great conversations with prospects too. So, you know, a lot of marketing these days is what? Hurry up and wait, right? Fill out this form. And then if we pass you over to sales, maybe you'll swap six emails with them to find a good time to talk. But what if a prospect is doing research right now and they would chat now? Why not give them the opportunity? So the best part is your company actually decides what leads are worth a live chat. There's a lot of noise out there. You don't want to talk to everyone. So Qualified actually connects to Salesforce and Pardot, and it's able to pull in lead and contact information. So you can specifically know if you're talking to a VIP, a VP, a decision maker. It's really kind of like magic. Now, if you don't know who someone is, well, what happens then, Casey? Well, that's when the bots come in handy. Chatbots can then ask you know, questions to further qualify a lead. Find out if maybe this is someone you do want to talk to. And they can book meetings while your sales team is out. And they can wake up the next morning with a bunch of meetings on their calendar. Now, here's the promo. If you are a company that wants to give your sales team this ability, right, to be able to talk to decision makers right when they're on your website, do this. Go to qualify.com and start a chat, right? They use their own tool, of course. Start a chat. Tell them that Casey sent you. If you have Salesforce Pardot, when you schedule and then do a demo, they will send you a free copy of my book, Marketing Automation Unleashed. Not bad, right? Well, it's only while supplies last. So hop on this thing today. And that's it for sponsors. Let's get to the show. Here we are live from Studio B in the coronavirus bunker at my house. <laughs> the show must go on, people. And this one is going to be a good one. I'm excited to introduce to you our guest. He is a tattooed, Harley riding, foul mouthed sales and marketing leader. <laughs> But don't let that fool you. He actually wins awards, sales awards, marketing awards, business strategy. He's a consultant, uh, super high energy host of the What? The B2B Revenue Executive Experience, which is a cool ass podcast. We're going to talk about that. We're going to talk about how he loves to do training and teach people the way and clear the way for him. He is a managing partner at Value Selling Associates. And again, the host of that podcast, the B2B Revenue Executive Experience, Chad Anderson. Welcome to the show, sir. Hey, man. Thanks for having me. It's great to be here. I am unfortunately not in a bunker. <laughs> not in a bunker. No. Nope. Not in a bunker. I feel like I am. I feel like I am, man. You're surviving this, uh, this shutdown. Yeah. yeah so uh, far, we still have enough toilet paper, so we're good. You do, right? <laughs> you know what's funny? Uh, I um I looked down at the other day and I saw the toilet paper was out. I took a, po a photo and I sent it to my wife and I was like, "Oh no!" And then I look up and there's like three of them on the rack. <laughs> so I, then I replace it and I take another photo and I was like, "Oh no no, you're all good. Back to your homes, everyone. We're good. We got enough. We got enough." So this is great. I'm so glad you're here. We are. This is our marketing leadership series, um, podcasting series. You know, fellow podcaster and um, and marketing thought leader. Love that you're here so I can pick your brain and we can just dispel all these myths. It is St. Patrick's Day today. It we is. did talk about getting Guinnesses afterward. Otherwise, this would descend into a, <laughs> Madness. Like a, a Howard Stern <laughs> podcast, right? So, um, you know, normally I would pass you an actual hammer. But here, let me pass you an imaginary hammer. This is <laughs> Thor's hammer. Take this hammer and smash for me some kind of marketing myth some misconception, bogus strategy that just drives you crazy. Set the record straight. 
I, one of the things that absolutely, I think, continues to annoy the crap out of me is this belief that technology is the answer, that, that, that more MarTech automation, that more MarTech data, that more insights are going to increase connection rates and increase the way uh, human beings interact. It can help focus, yes. But if technology were the answer, there wouldn't be over 7,500 companies in this MarTech 5000. Yeah. Yes, which they're just, I mean, in the time that we're talking, I'm sure two more MarTech companies would be founded. Boop, boop. There you go. Yep. Right? Yep, there they are. Two guys in a, in a dog in a garage. In the <laughs> and it just, it's at the end of the day, marketing and sales and, and, and revenue generation in a B2B environment, it's about people. It still comes down to people. And what's amazing to me is that the technology has actually created a divide where most human beings don't know how to effectively communicate with another human being. So even if the technology allows me to get somebody on the phone, on a meeting, on a web share, whatever it is, I don't have any tools that allow me to consistently connect to them as another human being to uncover their perspective. The technology is designed in such a way and our onboarding of individuals and organizations is designed in such a way that I get on and all I want to do is talk about me. And yeah. nobody, nobody likes that. It doesn't work yeah. when you're dating. It doesn't work in business. You have to work at understanding the other human being and technology is not the be all end all. It is a part of the solution. And I would even go so far as to say not even the largest part of the solution. Not even the largest part. You know, there's some shots fired here. A bunch of SaaS vendors out there like, Casey, can you get me his address? I want to swing yeah. by and pay him a visit. Um, well, and some of them are my customers. So I mean no disrespect, <laughs> but at the end of the right. day, this is a human-to-human -human exchange, right? We're still at a point where you have to be able to connect to another human being. And if you can't, then you're at a disadvantage because nobody's going to sit around and listen to you just, you know, waddle on about the features and functionality and, oh, we do this cool shit. Nobody cares. What, what they care about is how are you going to help them solve their problems and our marketing content and our marketing strategy, our content strategy, even into our sales funnel, it has to be frictionless. It has to be frictionless in a way that is focused on at each stage in that process. What does that person care about at that point in time? Yeah. What do they care about? What do they care about? Not what you care about, but you know what you mentioned the features and functionality. I feel like that's in some like, product marketing textbook somewhere because everyone does that they always talk even sales does that oh, oh yeah let me tell you about my features and functionality and everyone's like Psh, checking out yeah Don't care. Well, i mean think about how people are onboarded right think about like if, if yeah. regardless of the company regardless of the company if the onboarding is two weeks or it's six weeks or it's 12 weeks doesn't really matter but when you're doing that you're onboarding them to understand the culture the processes us 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 you want yeah. them to understand the product and the companies that we've helped and things like that. And that totally makes sense. But if you don't mix that or balance that with some way to have a framework for them to be able to leverage that information in a way that allows that connection, that H to H connection, then all you're doing is setting them up for failure and more importantly, setting them up to create experiences that rub your prospects and or current customers the wrong way because it's yeah. all about you and not about them. Well, how do we fix this? You mentioned it's not even the biggest part. The tech is not. What is the biggest part? Well, this this goes to a whole, whole bunch of probably stuff I should be really careful talking about, but it's the societal No, norms. don't be careful. <laughs> Drink that Guinness. Here, here's a shot of Jameson. Come on, you got this. No one's listening. Don't worry about it. Yeah, right. It goes to the societal norms that we have. Like if you think about it, in the last 10 to 12 years, um, there's a couple things that have happened. Number one, devices have become so prevalent that... Uh, there was a stat a few years ago that millennials are more likely to wake up in the morning and reach for their phone than their significant other, right? And so we become so addicted to these screens, right? So we have this one foot, three foot, four foot, 10 foot experience where there's screens all around us. It distracts us. It changes the way that we think about engagement. Short little texts with cute little emojis in our personal lives and stuff like that, or apps that give us exactly what we want, like Amazon, give us what we want, where the, where we want it, how we want it. Because companies have invested, you know, millions upon millions of dollars in customer experience to make mm -hmm. these things frictionless, so they can essentially keep their their hand in your wallet longer and have you be okay with it. And that's a nice progression for business and engagement with brands. And I get all the benefits of that. But the, the other side of that is, and, and I mean, with, you know, we've got, we got 11 year old twins in the house and, I, and they're like this with the phones, right? It's always yeah. in space. It's hard for them to consistently connect to other human beings. And it's, it's prevalent across, across all industries, across all practices. People are hiding behind the technology. Now, interestingly enough, I think with, 
this COVID stuff and the social distancing, yeah. there's going to be an increase in the number of people who have to turn on their cameras. Like you and I, we've got our cameras on right now so we can see each other, right? Yeah. And that's a better connection than just dialing into a oh, web conference and putting yeah. me on mute. I mean, you can tell when I'm taking a drink, you can tell when I'm using my hands. There's, there's a better connection there. That's going to require a different skill set in communication. Still requires a framework to uncover the other person's perspective, but isn't something that's going to come natural to a lot of people. I did a, uh, did a, a meeting yesterday uh, with a client and uh, hops, he hops on, we turn on our cameras and you could just tell that he had just rolled out of bed hair. I mean, I don't have hair, <laughs> hair was all askew, like just everywhere. Yeah, We don't have to worry about that. Right. We just yeah, roll out. Yeah. We're like, Hey, look, I look great. it's all good. We don't have to worry about that at all. But it was like, there was, there was no attention paid to the impression that the background uh, yeah. or the presentation gave uh, and, and it's, it's, you know, in, in a business setting, they, what do they say? It's, uh, you know, it takes a one time to do, you know, to, to make a first one time to make a first impression. Yeah. And you, I love the phrase, you know, you used to dress for the job you wanted, not the job you had. Yeah. Right. Well now most of us are dressing like we don't even want to get out of bed. Right. I mean, I'm not even like, I'm just wearing a Harley shirt today. Cause I'm just like, ah, you know, it's, it's fine. I'm not putting on my suit today, but it's like, oh, I see, I see, I see how this goes. Every, all the other podcasts you put on a suit. No, no, Why hell you? no. No, when I'm doing podcasts, it's just, <laughs> you just get me raw and uninterrupted. That's right. For better or for worse. Um, but at the end of the day, if you, if you think about people taking a moment, taking a breath, this isn't about which technology I'm using or how much data I have. Part of it is self-presentation. Part of yeah. it is the way I speak. Part of it is the way I write because written communication is so important. And we've seen linguistic changes in the way people communicate because of texting and instant messaging. People shorten stuff. They use a lot more emojis. Well, that creates a lot more variability in what is an understood between two individuals. Yeah. And so without some type of training, without some type of framework for them to work within, the dialogue can go anywhere and there are huge gaps in any marketing or sales process and huge risks. You know, it's true that, you know, this... I mean, there's this flip sides to everything. You know, the, so, the social distancing uh, makes me really appreciate the social not distancing, right? I mean, there's, right, people, right. There's, there's some people, I, I saw a post where it's like the extroverts or uh, the introverts are like, woohoo, and the extroverts are like, oh no, you know? Yeah. And, and for me, I'm like, oh, geez, now, now I appreciate like waving at someone on the sidewalk, you know? Like, yeah. Hello, human. Yeah. <laughs> are you are you there? <laughs> well, we um, take all of that, we take yeah. all that human connection for granted. We, 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 we think. Do that by being close in proximity, we're all hanging out at a bar. You know, before they started shutting down the bars and stuff, is it a bar, it's a Thursday evening. Be honest, uh, this was like last night, right? Well, no, no, that was, <laughs> I, was, I was into my own jack here working on some stuff. But, um, but you're sitting there and you see a group of friends around a table and they all have their phones out. They're not even, yeah, like they that. feel like they have a human connection because they're all sharing space, but it isn't truly that, you know, have a conversation, connect, understand another person's perspective, debate, evolve your thinking try to bring them around to another point of view yeah they'd rather send a meme on insta or something you know it's, yeah it's they need okay. better friends yeah yeah ones that actually want to pay attention to you so all, all this comes to a head when we realize we do have to connect with people and turn on our webcams and you mentioned you know it's it's not about what you know your app does or your your software your service it's not about that it's about what people want and friction you said friction frictionlessly giving them what they want at every stage what what's your overall take on that what what's the where do we go technology should come second or third what what's first on on your list first first and foremost is that human to human connection that ability to understand somebody else's perspective if you start okay. there you can then leverage technology to automate and help you can do yeah role in industry-based types of prospecting or, or account-based marketing. But you need to start with the foundational element of what is going to be valuable to that other person. And sometimes it's just our best guess based on some research, based on some reverse engineering of having worked with other companies and people in those same roles. Like, but that should be the focal point. Whereas what I have a tendency to see is, hey, we got this new tech. This new tech does this. How do we use it? And I feel like right. that's putting the cart before the horse. You don't, you may not even need that tech. It, it right. just depends on what you're trying to accomplish and who you're trying to get in touch with, what industries you're going into and how you're doing it. And then there's the, you know, the belief or the, I didn't say belief. I would say the, the disappointment when the tech just doesn't make my job super easy. Yeah. Like it's not magic. This is, they call it work for a reason. Like 
you know, and if you're in sales or if you're in marketing, if you're an SDR inside of a marketing organization, part of that revenue funnel, or you're a sales exec, this is a grind. This is not, you don't get into this because it's easy money. It's high risk, high reward, but you have to put in the work. And you have a whole bunch of skills you have to master. Communication uh, amongst one of the top ones, in my opinion. Business acumen, probably a second, a close second. But you need to understand what it means to communicate, how to communicate with another human. You need to understand how to shut up and listen sometimes, right? And a lot of people just can't do that. If you watch, I sometimes will watch people talking and see what the length of time is someone can actually listen before they have to interrupt the other person and start talking. Right. And so there's this just, hey, take a deep breath. Use a three second rule. Right. Just count to three in your head and just listen to what they're saying. Don't think about the next app you're going to download or, hey, I got to do this or that. Like be present. Just freaking have a conversation. And if you can do that, then underneath you can build a tech stack that will support your ability to do that. I think that's an optimal approach, both from a marketing standpoint and a sales uh, force automation standpoint, but it's one that organizations have a tendency not to use. What they do is look at, here's what I told Wall Street, or here's what I told my board, or here's what I told my business partner in terms of what we we're going to do metrics-wise. I need to find technology to make sure that I do that. And and that's okay, fine. It, what it creates is you have a shit ton of technology that I would bet most of your people aren't even using correctly. Yeah. Yeah. And it's not driving, it's not driving those connections. In fact, in some cases, if I get one more crappy automated marketing email, like, <laughs> I mean, to me, to me, because of what I do, because of working training sales and marketing teams, that's easy prospecting for me. Somebody shoots me a crappy marketing email, I just forward it to the CEO and say, Hey, if you want me to, I can help you fix this. And and that's how I kind of get some of my business because I know the systems are set up to try and make it as easy as possible for an SDR or a, a marketing team or account executives to try and get in front of people. But at the end of the day, they're not paying attention to what kind of impression the phrasing that, or the sentence structure or the length of the email. Like when's the last time you read an email that had like five paragraphs in it? Right. Right. I, I got four it wasn't spam, right? That wasn't spam. Yeah. yeah. Four, I mean, four or five lines, like, that's all you get. And it's like, but make them about the other person, about how you can help them, about understanding, like show them you know them. Show them you yeah. know what kind of challenges they're having. From there, then use the technology that's going to enable you to do that in a way that from first contact, through them getting to the point where they realize the value that convinced them to buy in the first place, and then even upsell, right? Like account management, make that frictionless. Make it about them. It shouldn't be a sales process. It should be a buying process. It shouldn't be a sales journey. It should be a buying journey. And we have a tendency to define it from us to them rather than them to us, which is the way we should be doing. Yeah, totally. It's like we're not, you know, we're not watching PBS, you know, special (laughs) Pride and Prejudice, you know, five-hour series here where they're writing these letters to each other. You know, I I thought of you after after last (laughs) afternoon, and and I was wondering if you wanted to buy my SaaS software. You know, like, you know, five pages later, oh, what a romantic letter, all this parchment, you know? It's like, no, no, we're not doing that. But yet you see these long emails and or this, you know, the tech that sends it out. And, and you got me really thinking, it's not really, you know, the secret sauce. Like, oh no, you need more leads. You probably shouldn't be looking right at your tech first, like, or right. at the next tech you need to get. It might be something as simple as just changing the message, or changing yeah. or learning a little bit more about your buyer, you know, yeah. and, then, and then whatever tool you're using, great. Now just have the right thing go out to them. What, what, What's your ideal message? Do you, I mean, do you spam people or cold call or cold email or what's your thought? I, we, we teach a process called vortex prospecting. So it, when, when you, whoa, look whoa, at, whoa, we need to pause vortex prox, prospecting? prospecting. Yeah. It's a, it's Shit. a framework for prospecting. And okay. so vortex prospecting ties into the other framework we teach, which is the value selling framework. So the entire revenue funnel is focused around something we call a value prompter, which is a way to understand another human being's perspective. So on a vortex prospecting side, first and foremost comes who am I going after and in what industry? That is step one. It's role-based, industry-based kind of segmentation of data, segmentation of research, and then through running some, some not like days and days and days, but some really compressed, targeted research, understand what that role is dealing with. Yeah. What are the top challenges? Like, let's say CMO in retail, 
if I ran, you know, 2020 industry reports, CMO in retail challenges, I'll probably get three or four reports that'll tell me, hey, these are things that a CMO is probably facing. Great. That allows me then to think about that CMO and how are they, what problems are going to get in the way of them yeah. resolving those challenges that they have. From there, I can then take that and at least have done some homework on them, their industry. And my outreach to them is to provide them value. So I'll send maybe an email that has this report I just found. Hey, we're working with other CMOs in retail. Thought you might find this interesting if you haven't had a chance to see it. Know you're busy. Probably would recommend you check out this page and this paragraph. Think it might be really valuable. That's it. Would love to hear your thoughts. Soft ask, right? Then maybe I'm going to hit them on LinkedIn. And I'm going to reference that report. I'm going to reference that email and be like, hey, that report I shared with you the other day, here's something else I think you might find valuable. And I'd love to know how your organization is, is tackling it or what it means to you. Um, and would love to share insights on other organizations that we've worked with and helped in the same way. Then maybe I call them. And then maybe I leave them a voicemail. But I reference that social interaction. And so Vortex allows you to create. It uses a psychology-based approach called priming of memory. And so we're basically through these touches and the daisy chaining of it, creating the essence of a, of a relationship that maybe hasn't really truly existed yet. So we're increasing familiarity. Another psychological report on it, I think it came out of Stanford, uh, was mere exposure effect, right? And so the more I put my name, my company's name, my email, my phone number in front of you, the more familiar it's going to become. And if I'm doing that, while I'm focused on things that should be valuable to you, my connection rates my conversations are completely different than I'm just like, hey, I got this cool widget. You want to check it out? Totally right. different. Man, the priming of memory, the mere exposure effect. You got some, you got some wizard powers <laughs> in this vortex. So this thing is spinning around and you know, the <laughs> poor prospect is in there going like, help me, help me, Josh. <laughs> like, it's that's more, awesome. It's, it's designed to help provide that um, framework for the grind, right? Like let's now, and the beauty of it is it gets super powerful if you use the tech stack the right way to analyze what's working versus what's not. Ah, Down okay. to cool. A-B testing subject lines of emails or social interactions or content that you've shared, right? Now I have data that's going to help me better understand the individual rather than attempt to tell me first and foremost, hey, this content didn't work, maybe you want to change it. Well, the, oh, no shit. Well, the question yeah. is why? Right. Why didn't it work? So now I can use the technology. And people have a tendency, like when we work with organizations um, to roll out Vortex or value selling, we have a lot, we hear a lot of people that kind of push back on doing call blocks. And they think Vortex is nothing more uh, than picking up the phone. And we mm -hmm. do teach best practices in, in picking up the phone and having conversations and creating emails. And there's a lot of focus on the phone because it still statistically is the best way to get somebody a connection if sure. you look at the data. Now, people don't want to pick it up. Number one, cold calling. I mean, I'm over a million, a million cold dials, dials in my career because wow. I am a 100% commission sales rep. So I prospect every day that I'm not in class, not teaching somebody. I'm doing 50 dials a day. I'm sending really? 50 targeted emails a day. Yeah, you got to do the grind because you're not going to notice the pipeline like shrink next week or the week after, yeah. but you'll notice it in six weeks when all of a sudden the panic sets in, right? So you <laughs> gotta be consistent. You gotta do the grind. And the beauty of it is with the data, the tech stack, if we've started looking at that individual, that role in industry first, and we've reverse engineered to what they think is important based on our research, we then have the technology that allows us to bring that target closer and closer and closer over time. So while it takes a while to get the system ramped up, once the data, once you have enough data to tell you, hey, this email worked at this point in time to this individual because of this headline, now you have something that you can tweak, really make about the other individual. But if you don't do the consistency of the multi-channel approach to prospecting, you're going to get lost behind feeling like people, you know, people feeling like you're spamming them. Yeah. Is the call like step one in your process or is it just one of the touches in this vortex? It's yeah. So if we 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 have this thing in Vortex called the, the sphere of engagement, and there's six kind of channels, right? Okay. So there's phone, email, and inside of email, I include LinkedIn email, snail mail, that kind of stuff, right? Like any kind of mail. oh, so snail like direct mails in there too, yeah, just any kind of mail. message, okay? Yeah. So so we've got phone, we've got uh, email, uh, and we've got uh, social. So those are one to one relationships, and then we have networking, events 
and groups, which is things where you volunteer to do that you may not necessarily think are work. Those are one to many. And so what we want to do is create a cadence that leverages all of those channels in a multifaceted approach to prime someone's memory, create content that uses what we call AIM, anxiety, influence, and motivation. So you want to introduce a little bit of anxiety. Hey, were you aware of this challenge? Um, or were you aware that your competitor was solving this challenge this way? Hey, we've helped other people do this, influence, and then motivate them to have a conversation, right? So if you create your content strategy around AIM and you create your cadence or your outreach strategy through this multi-channel approach to prime the memory, then what you're doing is starting to create a relationship where you can have a deeper conversation, a more meaningful conversation with the other individual rather than just, hey, I got this cool widget, which is really... All that's going to do is shrink your deal size. Yeah. Right. What we yeah, want to do cool is widgets like commoditized, them. right? You know, it's yeah. just like, yeah, everyone's got cool widgets. So how cheap is yours? Yeah. As opposed and that's to the last solution. place we want to be. We don't ever, yeah. ever, ever want to be negotiating on price, just price. Right. right. Can we break down aim a little bit further? Because um, it sounds like just a little bit of guidance in this, in, when we're doing messaging could just make it that much better of a message. And I feel like I've seen some emails, even from my own team, where we're actually putting the A in there. And it's kind of kind of exciting to think about. But can you break down each one? Like, what's the best? Yeah, so, well, I don't know. It's best it'll depend on, again, on that role in industry, right? True. So what's yeah. going to create, what's, what's going to create anxiety is going to change a little bit. But at the heart of it, if you break it down, anxiety is designed to elicit an emotional reaction. Okay. Right? And now, typically... It's designed to elicit an emotional reaction by bringing future consequences of inaction today to the present. So they may not be thinking about this problem you know you can solve. You want to bring that to the forefront and help them understand what the impacts could be if they don't solve it today. So you want to create a little bit of a, like a, oh crap moment. Not yeah. too far. You can't risk credibility, trust right. and rapport, right? And, it, and so it takes a fairly developed communication style to pull it off. But you want to elicit an emotional reaction that's something that's going to be important to them, provide them some value. Right. Then you want to demonstrate influence, meaning you've solved this problem for other people before. This is just pulling out your case studies and saying, hey, you know, we worked with a CMO in retail at this company to solve these problems and drive these results, right? So we know what we're talking about. So it's the credibility, it's the influence mm -hmm. that you can actually address these problems. And then the motivation is the ask, is the get them to have a conversation with you by employing some type of time-bound element that if they don't solve this problem, then in you know, three months, it's going to be worse than it is today. And it's a very simple structure, but it is like most things that are simple. It <laughs> takes a little practice to sure. get it done. The beauty of it is if you create your content strategy using AIM, you then could create anxiety through a social channel, demonstrate influence in an email, motivate them to act in a voicemail. So it doesn't all have to be in one, like emails can be AIM emails, anxiety, influence, motivation, but you can also break it up. And so you get to then play with the focus, if you will, of that yeah. sphere of engagement to get tighter and tighter on your target so you can get more conversions, more conversations. Wow. So you could just have a message where all it does is just, it's designed to create anxiety. You're not yeah. even trying to make people feel better at the moment, just trying to yeah, just get that emotion. And now, to, I would, I have little, a little words of warning. Yeah. Considering the current panic climate, yeah. or heightened emotional sense of the COVID Good environment, point. Yeah. I'd be very careful because at the core of it, we never, ever want to be disrespectful. Disrespectful to ourselves, disrespectful to our customers, and disrespectful to our managers and our company. We have an obligation, right. I believe, as an employee or as a consultant or as whatever to be as respectful as possible and be aware of what's going on in somebody else's life. Now, right now, everybody's going through COVID. Right. But like if, let's just say it, that was over, we're through COVID, everybody's back to normal. Um, you still would be very careful because you don't know if the person that you're going after recently had a loss in the family or, right. you know, you don't want to, maybe they just lost a job. You just want to be very respectful with the type of anxiety that you focus on. And it was actually... I want to say it was Dr. Cialdini in his book, Influence, yeah, pointed yeah. out that in work, in, in, as in a work environment, we first identify with our role rather than as an individual. And that's why the role-based, industry-based approach to prospecting is so powerful. Because if you read that book, I may, I may butcher this. If you read that book, they did an experiment where they took people off of the street 
And they took, I don't know, I'm going to make some numbers up here, 10 of them and made them guards and 30 of them and made them prisoners. And what they found was as they went through this, the people who were the guards who had never been prison guards before, because of the role they had started to develop and and display um, an overabundance of power type of behavior dynamics because they were identifying with the role. And the prisoners who had never been subservient or you know, in captivity or anything like that before started to exhibit the same behavioral dynamics you would see in a normal prison. They actually had to stop it. They had to stop the experiment because it got a little too real at times. And so this concept of self-identifying with my role inside of a business allows us as marketers and as sales professionals to target on that, reverse engineer out into that, how we're going to build the tech, the messaging, and all of that stuff. Wow. I could have swore I saw like a documentary about that prison thing or some kind of movie. I, I think there was. I, I probably have probably seen it, but that was probably a few jacks ago. So I mean, yeah, <laughs> I've heard that yeah. Movie, so. I think they, they all, like all the guards wore like aviator sunglasses or something. <laughs> right. um, they all walked wouldn't, around. Wouldn't with, surprise me. Wooden sticks and aviator sunglasses. And it was just like a, <laughs> you know, California university shit show, but, uh, yeah. but an interesting lesson learned for, for everyone that was a part of it. So we identify with their role. That's, that's a, it's interesting distinction and, and all the different things that can come from that and all the different ways you can think about that as a marketer and as a salesperson. Just yeah. Who, if who you think about, if you start, to. cause you don't know, you haven't earned the right to get overly personal with somebody yet. Like, and that's True. why it always annoys me when somebody comes at me and says, Hey, I noticed you went to Regis university for your MBA. I was in that class too. And I'm like, well, that's really? great. People so say that 1500 other people. Yeah. They like see it on my LinkedIn or, you know, like, come on, man. Like, I don't know. You. I, I don't, I don't know you yet. Like, let's not talk about that stuff. Um, but come at me as a business owner, mm. come at me as a sales consultant, come at me as a marketing consultant. Then you're probably going to get more of my attention because it's a, it's a safer interaction for an initial salvo, right? right? Like I, I personally identify as a business owner, as a consultant, all of that stuff, but it's safer for me to connect with people that way first, because then I'm not overly exposed as an individual. And so mm-hmm. understanding that emotional layer uh, is important in terms of how we structure our content to go way over the top into somebody's personal life and prove that you've been Facebook stalking them or, you know, you follow them on Insta or whatever. Like that's a little much, right? Right out of the gate. That is much. It's a little creepy. <laughs> I had a salesperson at one of those content factories that will just churn out case studies or blog posts and is super gross. Um, I had her like try to add me on Facebook. I remember this was like five years ago. Like yeah. add me on Facebook after a, a spam email or something after a first phone call. I was like, well, that's kind of weird. Like, what are you doing? <laughs> like, Why are you doing that? Um, I'm just going to disappoint you with not, you know, not, not approving the friend, friend and then also not <laughs> buying your thing. So double whammy here. Right. Man, man. Well, I, I like this. I, I like the vortex. Uh, the, you've got, I can tell you've been you've been t- training this and teaching people this. Man, your your uh, your definitions are on point. And so I, we talked about anxiety and and you know the respect the respectfulness and not playing too much into that. How the influence is that? Just you mentioned like case studies or just saying like, yeah. It's just like if you before? if you just created anxiety in somebody, like if you've just created an emotional reaction, like a CMO in retail, we'll just keep using that example. Like you pointed out a trend they hadn't been paying attention to because they were focused on something else over here. You just created a little bit of anxiety. Well, then the next thing you want to do is be like, hey, well, it's okay. I got yeah. you. I can help you with this. I want to demonstrate influence that I've solved these problems before. And yeah. so while I created the anxiety, I now want to connect that to, hey, I can help you. I can help you. And let's have a conversation. Here are the outcomes that the people I've worked with have, have generated, which is part of the motivation for them to have a conversation. Right. And so right. it's more, all about them, not about me. It's about, hey, I know you probably have this problem, whether you're aware of it or not. And if I can hit one that they are focused on, then it allows us to have a different type of conversation. Now I can uncover all of the problems that they're trying to solve. And I can make my deal sizes bigger because I can solve more of those, maybe with the portfolio of products, maybe with different elements of my platform, than just coming in and saying, hey, I have this one thing. Do you have this one problem? Uh, No, I don't. And then your rates are like, you know, your connection rates and conversion rates are through the floor. They're horrible. But if I go in and try to uncover as many problems as possible, and then I have 
all these elements of a solution I can bring, my deal sizes get bigger because I'm solving more problems. Oh, yeah, more yeah. Value. Now we're into the value selling side of it, right? That's the value selling framework side. Before we get to that, the, the motivation, it makes sense, the influence, we've done this before. What's the best, any tips, what's the best way to do that, that last part, that motivation? Is that is to get them to take a step, to take an action? Yeah, ideally, that's what we're after. Motivate them for some kind of action. Either share some thoughts on something we've shared, get on the phone with us, have a conversation. We want to motivate them to act because we want to highlight the outcomes that we have produced or the ways that we have solved that that problem, that anxiety point we just created. We want the outcomes to be the motivator for for them having a conversation or a timeline. It could be a timeline too. Like if you, you know, if you're not in compliance with this. Uh, compliance is a big one. So if you're not in compliance yeah. with the data privacy, right? The data privacy acts that are coming out. If I'm a marketer, I'm freaking out about the California Privacy and Protection Act. I think there's 17 different states that have different levels of privacy legislation. This is going to change the game for marketers. And it's going to change the game for people that are reaching out. Much like GDPR kind of did for EMEA. But when you look at the the privacy legislation going on in the U.S., it's a whole different beast because like um, California Privacy and Protection Act, there's no limits. There's no caps on the liability. Whereas oh, GDPR was like a certain percentage of revenue. So you could have somebody, let's just, you know, worst case scenario, let's just say uh, Apple sends out a mass email to somebody and somebody had already opted out, didn't want to be on that list, felt like it was a violation of their privacy in some way. They could sue Apple for an undetermined amount and potentially put them out of business. Now that's a total, you know, big hypothetical, sure. hypothetical over dramatic, but there are smaller organizations that run some serious risks. So as a marketer, there's also those types of things I have to be very careful of. If I am just batch blasting people, I run, I believe you run a bigger risk of falling afoul of the privacy and protection acts. than if you say, Hey, I think you might have a problem I can help you solve. Right. And it's about them. I think people will find that less offensive, less intrusive, less a violation because you're identifying with their role and their industry yeah. rather than as an individual. And so I think there's going to be a lot of changes that, that have to come out. The motivation is why should I have a conversation with you? Right. It kind of reminds me of the Bronx tale. Like, hey, gave it a shot, right? Yeah. I, gave it, I gave it a good shot. Like I talked to you. I got your role right. Got your industry right. It was helpful. It wasn't helpful, but we gave it a right. shot. As opposed to just, I'm just going to blanket spam everybody. Absolutely. I mean, that's a recipe for punitive action, which for me is hitting the spam report button because I yeah. love doing that because I'm in the <laughs> industry. Um, I'm like, you know what? This is a terrible email. You're, you're smart. You're like, let me forward it to the CEO. And like, this is, oh, yeah. What I do, I just like, oh, I'm going I'm to spam. Hit spam <laughs> I like your method better. You know, you just gave a whole bunch of uh, marketers anxiety talking about privacy. So what kind of... Um, what, what motivation would you say like you know join this webinar where i'm going to help you out with this or that could be motivation for yeah. sure like this motivation or or hey download this book this ebook and if you download it um and you click this box then that gives us permission to you know reach out to you more for right. a conversation or um if i'm an sdr it's the you know i have these three times available would love to find 15 or 13 minutes to talk to you about you know what's going on um something like that but you need to be again it all comes down to the core my belief is in, in respect, respect. Yeah. If you, if you respect. respect yourself as a professional, you will have done your homework. You will have done your prep. You will have accepted that the job you are in has aspects to it that require the grind that require you to do crap that nobody else wants to do. Yeah. Right. It's just part of the gig. So respect, understand that that's the deal. That's part of what your company expects from you and have enough respect for yourself to go into every attempt at outreaching to someone as prepared as possible. Yeah. But not, over-prepared so that it keeps your your numbers down you want to do it at a role level instead of like hey i'm going after this particular individual and this I'm person on that, yeah. right so it's that balance between scalability and, and effectiveness yeah i love that respect yourself come on man <laughs> like it, i haven't if i'd got an email because like my title now i used to be chief awesome officer i confused everyone <laughs> I, I got I got no spam from that. I loved I, it. I hit no filters. Yeah. Um, but now I, I change it to uh, founder and CMO, so I get some of that CMO traffic, and it's been gross. I have yet. Please, someone send me an email like you just described, and I, you know, fifteen minutes. I'm not gonna give you fifteen minutes, but like describing that. Hell yeah. yeah. Oh hey, you know, you know, CMOs and services businesses or in, in martech fields. Yeah, you got fifteen minutes. Let's, let's chat. Like. 
it's, what you're talking about is not rocket science, but no one does it. And so, yeah, no, that's it. It's not yeah. rocket science. We say that in, with every client that we engage with, I tell them, like, if we do an overview presentation with somebody, I say, look, at the end of this presentation, I want you to go, that makes complete and total sense. Because what we do is common sense at the core. But yeah. because of the societal norms, because of the digital, because of the customer experience, because of the way we've crafted it around an individual duck lip Instagram kind of world, yeah. the, the fact that people <laughs> get away from those basics and the basics are so powerful if you have a way to do it consistently. Yeah. Duck lip marketing. That's what all, that's what all these people are doing. All these LinkedIn, you know what? In the, wild. the LinkedIn messages I get are like, Hey, have you, have you struggled with leads and you see their profile, their headline doesn't, it's like, it's like all salesy and you're like, Oh, right. like the thing is if they're saying, they can help you get more leads and they're trying to connect with you. You're the lead. <laughs> like right. you're, you're not the, <laughs> you're not the customer. You're being lead. You're getting, getting got right now. Yeah, right? Absolutely. So, <laughs> I always decline those. I'm like, Nope, <laughs> Nope, Nope. I know what you're doing. I don't want to be your thing. Yeah. That's crazy, man. So this is cool. This is really cool. Um, I would love people to do that. I would respond to that. I can't imagine pe other people, not responding to that because I came to this thinking I turn everyone down that sends me their shitty message because yeah. none of them are good. None yeah. of them hit the hit on the roll at all. Yeah. Or and they just, ah, they're just so generic and gross. I would love for this to happen. I would totally take people up on this. Honestly, if people bought my book. I would probably take a meeting too. <laughs> wink, wink, nudge, nudge, all you salespeople out there. But um, yeah, that's cool. That's cool. I wish more people we need to get you, training people on new year's eve or something like okay right. i know you're waiting for the ball to drop pause for a second all those in sales face to the right and watch, yep. watch this quick video over here it's going to change yep. your life but you mentioned respect too like have respect for yourself and this if you're a salesperson or a marketer to don't just do the do the standard things because everyone always does that and it doesn't work and it's like the emperor's new clothes stop like have respect right. for yourself and the people you're talking to to do just a little bit just Give it a shot yeah. Give it a, to try a little bit and get that yeah. role figured out in the industry, even more so. Absolutely. I mean, if you don't take the time, it just shows that you're that it creates the impression much like the background in a video or the way that you're dressed or, or the way yeah. that you phrase something in an email, it creates an impression. And yeah. we like to say you're going to be relegated to the level you sound like oh, so yeah. if you're trying to get to C-level or owners of small medium businesses or chairman of the board or C-suite, if you aren't able to talk at a level and present yourself at a level where they feel it's a peer-to-peer, -peer, at least a peer-to-peer -peer starting point, then there's a much higher percentage chance that they're going to just you know flush it. Like, hey, no, right. this, I don't, I don't want to talk to this person. But if you understand, if you can up-level your business acumen, if you can apply the respect, if you can use a framework, rely on the framework and tweak and, and continually do the evolution and the grind, you're going to get to the 10,000-hour mark, as Malcolm Gladwell pointed out yeah. in Outliers. It takes 10,000 hours to master some of these practices. That's a lot of grind. Don't be afraid of it. Embrace it. Step into it. Now, if you're a marketing coordinator and or a, you know, brand new SDR, not too much experience. How do you up your game to be able to speak to a CMO like a, as a peer or to yeah. you know, a VP of sales? Like, like, how do I, you know, you're a room full of CEOs. How do I speak like them? I, I am not one of them. How do, how do you do that? What do you recommend? Yeah. So there's a couple of ways. I mean, a lot of people ended up, didn't, didn't wake up when they were, you know, at seven, eight, nine, ten, and play with GI Joe and put GI Joe in, in, in or Barbie in sales uniforms and say, I want to be sales when I grow up, right? Like, not a lot of people did so that. So good. Right? You just end up there from other ways. And so, if you didn't go through a business degree of some description, that's totally fine. There are other yeah. ways to do it. We offer a program called Executive Speak. It's an online program that's, I think of it as a mini MBA. In fact, parts of it that were better than the MBA I did over two years. Um, and so that's one yeah. way. The other way is, you know, read some of the books that they're reading, understand some of the business. I, can, I believe there's a bunch of free courses out there on um, crap. I'm drawing a blank. Uh, there's that online university that does a bunch of free stuff. Anyway, oh, yeah. search, search for, search for, um, you know, those types of things and just understand how businesses work. How does money flow through a business? What is each role kind of responsible for? We teach a bunch of techniques to do this from a research standpoint to structure your research. Um, but it, it requires first the awareness that, you know what, I don't 
have the business acumen to, I'm like fresh out of school or I've been doing this five years. I don't have the business acumen or, or the wherewithal to talk to a CMO or a C-level executive who's been doing this for 25 or 30 years. Right. Okay. First is admitting we need to get some help. Second is now I'm willing to do the work. And there's a yeah. bunch of resources out there. If anybody's interested, shoot me an email and I'll, I'll be able to provide, I can provide you a list okay. of places What's your you can email? check out. Chad.Sanderson at valueselling.com. Love it. Love it. So send you an email. You mentioned the research side. What, any quick tips on how, how do you do that? I mean, is it buyer research? How do you kind of get in their head? Yeah. It's, so it's literally, so I see a lot of people spend way too much time on research. Like I've seen people spend days really? and, and really in 15, 30 minutes max, you should be able to collect. Now this is focused 15 minutes to 30 okay. minutes, not, I'm doing research. I respond to a Slack message. There's LinkedIn. There's Facebook. Oh, Instagram. Here's an email. <laughs> no, no, it's Check closer my first down. Bar. Yeah, <laughs> right. exactly. It's closer down in 15 to 30 minutes. Focused research. Run a run a search to find out what are the latest industry trends that role is dealing with. You're looking okay. for you're looking for credible third party content. Forrester Gartner, industry analysts, things of that nature. That's number one. Number two, once you've done that and you've started to read and see, understand what's going on um, with that role in that industry or industry trends that that industry is experiencing in a more global aspect, you start to have a framework for now how I'm going to do my research. So if I'm going after retail companies, I'm probably going to go to a large retailer, a mid-level retailer, and a small retailer. I'm going to do a little bit of research on each one of those and see where the, the Neapolitan ice cream matches on each of those three. How are those trends manifesting in what those organizations say their strategic objectives are? And then from there, once you have that, it's just a matter of saying, okay, if a CMO in a mid-level retailer is attempting to deal with uh, digital transformation yeah. uh, and they have all of these platforms, they're, they probably are trying to figure out how to get more leads or more brand awareness or more brand loyalty through these digital channels. What kind of problems are probably keeping them from doing that? Their team may not understand all of the platforms. They may not have a process for capturing the data, doing the analysis, and providing business insights. They may not have um, may not have the tech stack. They may not yeah. have the tech in place. They may not have the digital channels for those loyalty programs or that outreach or or that inbound MQL. Right? Problems that we're looking at are typically around people, process, and technology. And so once we have that, once we've have now that becomes the focal point for my outreach. It's like, hey, I noticed Forrester said this is an industry trend for CMOs in retail. We know that such and such company in your in your kind of tier has said these are their strategic objectives. We believe those are your same. I'm assuming that you're probably dealing with maybe one of these problems, this problem. We've solved this for other companies. Would love to have a conversation with you. Yeah. Now it's about them. It's reverse engineering. It took me 30 minutes to do the, 15 to 30 minutes to do the research, another 10 to 15 minutes to reverse engineer some really pointed questions. We have a tool we call the prospecting prompter that captures all of this so you can target your, your outreach around these questions. But now at least I've, I've at least done something. I've at least done some homework. I've, I've put some thought into it. Yeah. And you may not hit it. It's, it's our educated guess. You may not hit it right out of the gate. But at least we're starting to zero in. Hey, this problem didn't resonate with them, so I won't go back to that one. This one did. Or these three didn't, and I finally on my you know, fourth week of my cadence, I got them to respond with this. And so it's an educated best guess. And doing it consistently yeah. is the key consistently I, I love that i can see now you've done just a little bit of re 15 30 minutes just a little bit of search a little bit of research and now when you try the call or you try the email or try those campaigns now that the a b testing and all these other things will, will, will make much more difference you, because you're Absolutely. you're you're testing out different things that really could hit not some random stuff. It's like, oh, right. I don't know anything. Let me just A-B test a subject line that makes no <laughs> sense and it doesn't really matter. But then you right. feel like you feel good because you did a subject line test, but you didn't really. You're right. not, you're not, neither ones are on the target. But in this case, huh, well, I did some research and it sounds like digital transformation is a real hot button. But, you know, a budgeting and justification is also really important too. Let's try and see which one of those resonates the most. Oh, they both do. Oh, one does more than the other. Great. Now you've got a real action item you can you can put into place. That's really cool. Absolutely. What's got you excited about the future? Anything coming around the corner that you're like you, you maybe you want to learn more about, or you're eyeing it, or you're just flat out stoked that it's happening? 
Well, I don't know about stoked. I think probably right now the thing, I mean, and this is probably true for a lot of people out there, uh, because of the social distancing and, and lar- a yeah. lot of our large-scale clients are having literally everybody work from home. Yeah. Um, I am really intrigued. We've always done virtual training. It's always been a part of what we'd offered. Yeah. Um, I'm really interested in up-leveling some of that. So some of the tech that I see from an engagement standpoint, some of these engagement platforms, uh, the data that they can give me as a result of, you know, who's engaged, who's not, who's taking part in the polls. Um, I really like that from an age to age perspective, like human to human. How do we continue to drive the human to human interaction uh, using the technology in an environment where a vast majority of our, you know, of our interactions may be virtual for some time. So I'm, I'm very excited about that. I am excited to at some point in the future, because it's not happening today. Uh, see some level of artificial intelligence be real. Um, okay. We have a tendency to call AI, you know, a lot of things AI, because that's actually the machine learning. Um, but there's definitely a difference. You know, we haven't quite built in um, free thinking software. Right. So, right. It's not truly artificial intelligence. But some of the data analytics that um, are being produced by some of the tools that are out there, I think are, are, Dangerously insightful. Dangerously meaning people will probably have a tendency to fall back on and rely on the tech. Yep. But I think they could be amazingly empowerful, empowering if I'm taking that data to really understand how am I effectively connecting with or not connecting with the human beings that are my prospects and customers. Those types of advancements are things that I'm definitely, definitely keeping an eye on and definitely interested in seeing evolve. Yeah, like you said, it's not, you know, it's not Terminator 2. It's not, uh, <laughs> you know how you know yeah. from 2001 it, it it's it's augmented it's yep. it's helping us spot those patterns but but i think the tendency is i, I do this all the time where you, you see some bullshit marketing and you're like okay it's not ai people it's not actually ai so i'm calling it that it's more augmented which is also an a and confusing right. i kind of throw the whole thing out it's like man this is new kids on the block i'm not che- i'm not listening to any of this right, right. and then <laughs> <laughs> but to your point, there are some real things happening with machine learning and yeah. with augmented intelligence that actually could help change the game. So we need to be able to separate out the fluff, but then pay attention to some of the developments that are happening. Yeah. And if people can continue to do it focused around driving more uh, valuable and productive human-to-human conversations and, and, and interactions, then I'm all for it. And I'm excited, yeah. to see, excited to see where that goes. You're right. That, that should be the goal, right? The goal is not what kind of neat, neato thing can you do in tech? It's how can you make these conversations, you know, right. more, you know, less friction, more helpful, more spot on, more ex- yes. the right place at the right time, all those kind of things. That makes sense. Well, who are you, man? How did you become the sage? I've been, <laughs> been learning from you for like an hour at this point. Like take us back, take us back to like the little days, you know, little yeah. chads running around causing trouble, riding his, you know, his, Tycho Harley, like <laughs> you always know you're going to be teaching people sales and marketing uh, and communication. And you know, it's funny. Um, when I was, when I was, oh man, first time I remember actually saying to myself, Hey, this is what I want to do when I grow up. Um, I always wanted to be a high school English teacher. That was, really? that was the goal. That was the first, well, first and foremost, a writer. I wanted to be a writer. Then I realized they don't, you know, they don't make a lot of money. So then I wanted to be a high school English teacher. Uh, not not uh, much improvement there. I was going to say, and then I realized they don't make a lot of money. Um, but how, the, how old were you though? When you were I just was like, in, man, I was in, I was probably a freshman in high school and it was really clear. It was very clear. Freshman, sophomore. I wanted to be a writer. I wanted to be, do something in communication. I wanted to work with and help other people, uh, learn. And then, um, you know, fast forward to college. Um, you know, I, at that point, I think the dream changed too. I really just wanted to, um, smoke pot and live on an Island. Um, serve drinks to fat happy tourists. Well, super quick, um, did you did you have like a really badass high school English teacher? Is that? Yeah. Oh, yeah. She was awesome, Mrs. Michaels. Okay. And I it, well, there were two, Mrs. Michaels and Mrs. Newcomb. Um, in fact, Mrs. Newcomb was the one that introduced me to the power of language. As a result of that, I started writing and, and actually became right before I got into college and then throughout college was actually a published poet. Wow. And so I, I did poetry readings and and stuff like that. And uh, that's where the whole smoking pot, you know, living on an island. Hell then I met a girl, as every story happens. Then I met a girl, and um, it was more about you know let's have build a life together and let's climb the ladder. So I used my English uh, degree to get into marketing, and so um, I started my marketing career um, 
in analyst and public relations. And so for a software Ooh. company. And wow. from there, kind of went up, started running marketing organizations, got my MBA in marketing. Uh, and then 48 hours after I got my MBA in marketing, I was in a meeting and I looked across the table and there were these two account executives they were talking about some really cool problems that their customers were trying to solve. And it hit me that, you know what, they get to solve cooler problems than me and they're making more money. So right. I gave up my leadership role in sales and became an individual, or excuse me, my leadership position in marketing yeah. and became an individual contributor in sales. I carried a bag. I gave wow. it went and, and went into that. I was trained in the value selling framework, what I now teach. I was trained in that 18 years ago, changed my life. And so as I went through my career from individual contributor, very successful to executive building and running marketing and sales organizations, I continually brought back in the same individual who trained me originally, a gentleman by the name of Rick McInish. And fast forward, you know, we, I'm an executive at a company, digital agency. We sell that company to KPMG. I was at another digital agency for a while, um, worked with some of the biggest companies out there, you know, worked with the Minnesota Vikings, worked with Verizon, worked nice. with Ingersoll Rand, you know, sold to eBay, sold to Microsoft, um, and was very successful at it. But I started to get a little bit bored. And mm. just about that time, Rick McInish, same guy who trained me, calls me out of the blue and he says, hey, you need to come do this. I'm like, you know, I don't know about this. But we talked about it a little bit more. And I said, all right, you know what, I'll do it. So I went from, once again, from being an executive with everything that that comes, teams and, you know, all that kind of crap, to 100% commission sales rep. I eat what I kill. I run my own business. I work with my clients. Um, I prospect. I sell them. I close them. I implement. I upsell. And I continue on the journey with them. It's one of the things that kind of sets our organization apart. So the gentleman who trained me 18 years ago is now my business partner. Wow. Uh, and we, and we, build, we, we brand under the value selling umbrella. And there's about four or five of us on our team. There's about 50, 52 of us plus around the globe that do what we do. Um, so we have the ability to scale, which is how we work with companies like NCR, Adobe, ServiceNow, things like that. Yeah. Um, we can work with big global organizations. We can work with the little organizations. Um, if you hit the valueselling.com website and scroll down, there's a video from a company called Bounteous. Uh, they're a digital agency. They're one of my customers. They actually won three gold Stevie Awards, four silver Stevie Awards, and one bronze Stevie Award this past February for excellence in sales transformation as a result of, of us working together. And so very Jeez. proud of them to see that. And now, here I am, fast forward from that kid in high school, I'm working with and teaching communication and alignment and skills, just not where I thought I was going to be doing it, not in a high school setting. Wow. Wow. Did, what do you think? Like having been a marketing exec and a sales exec and now, you know, running your own thing and killing what you eat and eating what you kill. Yeah. What do you think? Is it, would you no, not looking back? Like it's not for the meek. Let's put it yeah. like that. All right. Like, um, you know, you get, it, it's funny. You take a lot of things for granted as you're working for somebody else. There's a lot of elements of keeping a business afloat that you're aware of, but you're not involved in. So you're not as, you're not as acutely concerned about. Um, it took about a year, about a year to get the business off the ground, um, uh, doing well and then COVID, right? So now, right. Na now it's like, we got to pivot, right? So we were always doing some level of virtual, but I've had more clients say, Hey, I want to up level the, the amount of virtual we're doing. Well, that's a different beast, right? People learn differently through a virtual environment than they do in in-class workshops. And so we're pivoting that's all true. of that. And, and I, I have no problem because I'm, I love buying the tech. We were talking about this before. I have no problem. This whole room will turn into a virtual studio by the end of the week. Right? I've been nice. planning it out for three weeks and all the shit's coming. In fact, I keep looking for the UPS guy. Yeah, um, I know, right? The gigantic so whiteboard that's coming. That'll be so much fun. Studio lighting and the, you know, I've already got the wireless mics in and, and the new camera. Uh, so it'll be, you know, it'll be designed to drive as much human to human interaction in a virtual environment as possible so that we can still get across um, the elements of what we know make people successful. And the beauty of the value selling framework and vortex prospecting is it's simplicity is it's, yeah. it's elegance. It's not high overhead. It's not a lot of, it's not, it's not a lot of extra work. It's really just making people better at what they try to do naturally and giving them a framework. So they don't miss some of the steps that we all have a tendency to do because we move too fast. Man. So true. What a wild ride. Yeah, it has been, it has been interesting for sure. So you know, how long have you been doing this now? What you, three and a half like, years. Wow. Three and a half years of value selling, yeah. Wow. Crazy. Uh, so yeah. crazy. 
It's a good time. I, I really, I enjoy the fact, you know, I've got clients that do, you know, they're high tech SaaS companies to yeah. manufacturing companies to call centers. Like the beauty of it is what we do works regardless. And it's not just about sales. It is about driving internal alignment and alignment in that buying process. And it's just fun. It's fun. I get to work with some really amazing people. Some of my clients have turned into some really great friends. Um, yeah. It gets stressful. And I work harder now than I ever did when I was working for somebody else. Um, but, sure. you know, uh, every, everything's got its pros and cons. For sure. And, man, that's how you kind of know when you've, you've hit that groove is when it feels like it's playtime. You know, right. it's like you get, get to wake up. I don't know if you feel this way, but sometimes it's like I, I keep waiting for the police to come and take me back to high school. Like, like I'm <laughs> skipping really? school or yeah. something and, and someone's going to take me back to an office somewhere or to, yeah. you know, to school and be like, nope, you're having way too much fun. Yeah. You know, you need to go sit in a classroom somewhere. Um, but yeah, that's really cool. You found that, that niche. Yeah, I love it. It's, it's definitely fun. And like I said, the, the types of customers we get to deal with are, are extremely diverse. And I continually, even through working with clients, but also through running the, the podcast that, that I run, I get yeah. to continually feed my head, right? Continually right. have people challenge me, bring new things to the table, talk about things that are working or talk about challenges. And so I get to stay up on all of that stuff through the guests on the podcast. And then with having conversations with individuals like you and I'm a guest on other people's uh, and I read voraciously. So it's, yeah, it's just an, I don't know, just something I turned out to be very passionate about and love it when the light bulb goes on, when somebody goes, Oh shit, uh, that is totally going to change the way I interact with my customers. That's the, that's the juice. That is the juice. When you get to see the little light bulbs, especially if you're in a, you know, teaching a classroom, you see a bunch of light bulbs going off yeah, at once. They're all absolutely. freaking out. <laughs> much energy. What do I do? This is crazy. Got to change the game here. And I, I certainly had a bunch of those aha moments today, just going through and yeah, you know, writing stuff down like respect and aim and all these different things. Question for you: If if you could go back in a time machine, because I, I have one, it's up here in Nashville, <laughs> Hampshire, yeah. um, and you could borrow it. Okay. Um, all it needs is a credit card. You just swipe the credit card. And you can yeah. <laughs> um. If you could go back, and unfortunately, you can only go back to one particular place in time. It's it's really at the beginning of your career. It could be after that MBA, or it could just be even, you know, after that initial English degree. You know, if you could go back in time and advise yourself, tell yourself, recommend some things to yourself, some advice. What would you tell yourself, knowing what you've known, having been in sales, been in marketing, having run your own shop? What would you tell yourself? Um, I, I would, I would probably say to myself, don't let the fear dictate your choices because for a lot of, a lot of, a lot of my career early on, uh, I made choices that were safe, that were, I knew I could go in the organization. I could make a difference. I could work for somebody else. I wanted to start my own business 10 years ago, 12 years ago, but was, was scared. I was scared of the financial free fall that happens when you start a business, right? Sure. No more coming in and a whole shit done going out. Um, and I was scared of it. And I, and I don't know that I had the confidence uh, at the time to know that if you do the right things and you stay focused and you're not afraid to do the hard work and you have some understanding of what it takes to be successful, that you can achieve some level of success. So I, I would go back and tell myself, just don't be afraid, mm -hmm. right? Creativity, curiosity, and grit. I would tell myself, get rid of the fear, amplify the creativity, the curiosity, and the grit, and just go for it. Just do it. Just do just, it. Just make it happen. Awesome, man. Awesome. I, so are you going to be um, hitting the Guinness or the Harley after this? Hopefully not uh, both. You know, it is a beautiful day outside, although I do have a lot of meetings today. I would love to get the Harley out. I definitely am going to hit the Guinness. That's happening. It's St. Patty's Day. It's got to got you, right? Guinness yeah. for lunch. Yeah. Actually, maybe brunch. Brunch. <laughs> this is up two hours behind you. Those are your Denver. That's right. Man, yeah, you, maybe you brunch. woke up. I'm off your beer and you just woke up. It's funny because uh, when I mentioned that, it was it's like probably nine for you. You're like, yeah, sure, why not? You know, yeah, hell, you know, Let's do it. <laughs> not driving anywhere, social distancing at its best. That's it. Well, I guess yeah, you're stuck at home. <laughs> Might as well have a Guinness. Is that their new ad campaign we've created for it them? It could be. You know? It could be. Oh no, I've run out of Guinness. You know, free delivery. <laughs> oh, that's cool. That's really cool. Well, hey, where can people connect with you? There's you mentioned your email earlier. Throw out your email again. Some URLs. You know, LinkedIn, Twitter, where do you want people to reach out? And obviously, people don't be strangers and goofy. You know, don't look like you're a lead gen. You just send a <laughs> random connection. Like, say, hey, I right. heard your episode. I want to learn more. That kind of thing. But where can yeah, people so, connect? 
LinkedIn's easy. It's just in forward slash Chad Sanderson, C-H-A-D-S-A-N-D-E-R-S-O-N. However, to your point, send a note. Because if it's somebody I don't know that just sends me a random request, I have a tendency to ignore it. So it sits in the list and I don't either accept it or ignore it. Um, You can shoot me an email at chad.sanderson at valuesselling.com. I'll even go one step further. I'll give you my phone number. So it's 303-834-5932. Give me a call. If I don't pick up, leave me a brief voicemail. Um, I will get back to you at some point. And check out, you can always check out my bio page on valueselling.com. Just go look under the team, our team, and you'll see my face. And you can see not only my bio and all that stuff, but all the other podcasts that I've been a guest on. And if you're interested in learning more, or check out b2brevexec.com, which is yeah, the, web, the web address for the podcast. Yeah. Perfect. Yeah. We'll put all those in the show notes as well. Chad, this has been fantastic, man. Thanks for joining me and schooling me on some of these things. Nah, it's been, it's a, been, it's been awesome. a joy. Thank you. Yeah, for sure. And those listening, if you've learned something, and I know you have, because I literally have two pages of notes over here, then (laughs) share this with someone else. Be a thought leader to one person, two people, a thousand people, but just get this information out there. Help somebody else learn uh, from Chad and for sure connect with him as well. So thanks again, man. This has been fun. We'll have to uh, check in later. You got it. All right, buddy. Take care. For everyone out there listening, this has been the Hardcore Marketing Show. We will catch you all next time. All right, a big thank you to today's sponsors. Cheshire Impact, helping marketers and sales win, maximizing the use of Pardot and Salesforce. And a big thank you to Qualified.com, the number one live chat and chat bot platform for Salesforce and Pardot. Remember the giveaway. If you have Salesforce Pardot and you want a free copy of my book, Marketing Automation Unleashed, then you go over to Qualified.com, engage in the chat, do a demo and tell them that Casey sent you and that book will be on its way to your door. All right. We'll see you all in the next one. 